Welcome to the 319th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I am back from the San Antonio Alamo City Ultra 50K. Spoiler alert, I lived. It was a good race. It was a hot race. Not as humid as Florida, but pretty darn hot. About 68 at the start. Uh, By the time daylight came around, uh, which was after the first loop, uh, climbed up into the 90s for the last couple of loops. So it it was um, everything we expected and much more. Before I get into that, I just wanted to let you know that we'll be doing another webinar in the beginning of October. The details to follow certainly will be on the website at drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. This time, Addie Minerich and I will be doing fall dishes, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, fall festival, everything fall. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. It is Addie's favorite time of the year, so we have a lot of good dishes to share with you. So back to the race, again, this was the Alamo City Ultra 50K, just outside of San Antonio, and there was a 5K, a 10K, a 25K, and a 50K. So it was, uh, it's run by Rob Goyen, and he is the CEO of Trails Over Texas. So there's a lot of races. If you're uh, interested in running some neat trails in Texas, check out his races, Trails Over Texas. I got to say kudos to him. Uh, very well run race. Um, this particular race for the 50K was six loops of a 5.4 mile course. There was an outer loop and an inner loop. And so when you finished the first outer loop, you came to an aid station, turned around and went back on the inner aspect of the property and ended up back at the start for the loop one and then uh, rinse and repeat for six times. The aid stations were well stocked as promised. There was big chests of ice, which were much needed. Um, You know, when it gets, when the race gets going and I start getting dehydrated, I really, I, I need cold water, ice water. The regular lukewarm stuff, I just doesn't cut it for me. So I was really happy that there had, they had ice we did prepare uh, because the both the aid stations were on the perimeters of the parking lot. You could actually park and get. We parked actually near the first aid station, so I uh, brought um, you know portable coolers um, that I that I brought with me that you know are collapsible, and we had frozen water bottles and frozen you know had ice, and then we had the gels that we thought we might use and the bars that we thought we might like just in case because sometimes aid stations either run out or they're not all they're cracked up to be or there's something there that you don't tolerate. So we were prepared on that end as well. Um, Turns out, again, the aid station were very well stocked. There were 86 racers in the 50K on Saturday and then they had a 50K on Sunday with fewer Um, There were a total of 26 women racing the 50K. I was number seven and the oldest uh, woman racing. So I actually finished uh, second uh, in the master's division. 74 people out of the 86 finished the course. As I said, we started in the dark just a little bit after six. It's the first time that I've run trails in the dark with a headlamp. 
I was actually um, kind of impressed that when we went around the second loop in the daylight, uh, the rocks and everything that we had transversed without falling and uh, uh, getting too far off course. We got a little off course on the first loop and the second loop. Um, so they kind of made up one little short, one little long. So it kind of made up for each other. Um, but it was, uh, you know, the, the race director said, this is going to be a tough course. And when we were looking on the map at the park, there were some paved areas. And I thought, well, this can't be that bad. It looks like that the majority of the second half of the loops appeared to be paved, which was not the course. And of course, it didn't really want that because it's a trail race. Um, but there were a lot of rocks and you had to climb three or 400 feet, um, again, rinse and repeat up and then down um, over railroad ties, boulders. And it got to be that I, I kind of, um, I felt like at the end I was doing moguls. If you've ever skied moguls where, you know, you kind of bounce off one rock into the next rock and going up to me wasn't climbing. is not near as bad as descending. And it was, it was kind of funny. Um, you know, we were going and obviously, you know, I have a day job. I don't want to break anything. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Certainly, uh, the way the the steepness of the rocks and the jaggedness of the rocks, it looked to me as a physician, um, the site of a compound fracture or a head injury if you were to fall. So as a 59-year-old, I think of those things as opposed to some of the younger people in the race who just, you know, kind of bounced down the course um, somewhat out of control, but not really worrying about what happened uh, or I guess thought about much of what could happen. Um, the beauty of being young, I suppose, uh, took over for them. But I did try to watch and I did try to learn. And in past podcasts, well, just a few back when I had Katie Bowman on and we talked about mobility and foot mobility and I've been uh, doing mobility exercises and I, I do believe that they did pay off and watching the other people as they kind of would hit the rock and not really aim so much, but let their foot kind of relax over the rock and kind of bounce off and keep light on your feet and shorter strides. And, um, so I kind of tried to emulate the people that I thought were doing a good job. And as you made, you know, loop after loop, you became more comfortable with the rocks. And in some areas you kind of had a path that you went down in other areas never really figured out the best way to get down. Um, I know there was one section on the last, um, the, the last loop that I actually sat down and went down just because I didn't think my quads were going to hold me as on the way down. And I, and I kind of giggled to myself a little bit because, you know, not only does your head get in the way as you get older for fear of what could happen, but my, agility at 59 is not near the agility of the 20 something 30 something probably never was but certainly didn't have much to deteriorate from and and so you know that lightness on your feet um it it just really isn't there and so you know we did good uh didn't fall down um twisted you know kind of rolled my ankle a few times but nothing horrible you know just one of those stingers and you you know hobble a couple a couple steps and it, it kind of goes away i was a little sore afterwards as far as my ankles go but nothing nothing really uh too bothersome uh which i was very very happy about because again i you know it, it was a course that you could probably um really do some damage if you if you took a, a, a tumble 
it was technical enough that, you know, I, I wasn't drinking as much water as I probably should have been early on. And I certainly didn't feel um, like I could really eat and watch where I was going. So uh, it was very pretty where I was looking. But again, I didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to look around. I just kept moving forward at the best pace that I could. And I limited my food intake to the aid stations. And we, you know, we had made a pact, Michael and I, that we weren't going to spend time camping out at the aid stations and, you know, chit-chatting because if, you know, the other trail races that we did, when you finally saw somebody, you, you kind of wanted to, you know, socialize a little bit. So we decided early on we weren't going to stop and socialize. We we're going to get what we needed and, and move on. And we did a good job at that. Um, we spent, on average, uh, less than two minutes at each age station. So I thought that was pretty good. And, you know, again, other than I ate two gels while we were running, um, the rest of the nutrition I consumed at the aid stations. So here's what I'm going to share with you that um, may be a little, uh, may shock and dismay some of you. But again, during a race, you're burning carbohydrates and fat, but the, the thing that stops you, the, the wall, is lack of glycogen in your muscles. In a regular marathon, uh, you have about 2,000 calories in your muscles uh, in your liver. And so the last six miles of a marathon is pretty much, um, you know, you're, you're kind of running on fumes or what you take in. And so add on to that to get to 31 and a half. Um, you're running on fumes a little bit longer. So you have to take in some nourishment and it has to be digestible. The higher your heart rate gets, the more blood flow that is diverted away from your gut. So the less easy you can digest something. So typically people rely on simple sugars, whether it's a, you know, an electrolyte and glucose drink or the, you know, the gels that are mainly sugar. On the aid table, they had M&Ms, peanut butter m and or uh, what do you know, call uh, peanut M&Ms, regular M&Ms, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Oreos, pickles, oranges, bananas. They had Coca-Cola, ginger ale, Red Bull. There was an electrolyte drink. There was just plain water. And so besides the goo um, that we had packed, we also brought with us um, a vegan um, rice pudding. And we had tried that on previous runs. And so I ate two of those little pudding cups. Um, again, rice pudding. And those sit pretty well go down pretty quick and don't cause, you know, much in the way of uh, GI distress. And then I tried the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so they were half sandwiches, so two little squares. And those really went down easy for me in the sun. They were kind of like they were toasted. That was really light on the peanut butter, more on the jelly. And I got to tell you, you know, it was regular old Jif peanut butter. So sugar added. But those went down uh, really well for me. I tolerated them, and they would hold me for an entire lap. So I really, um, that's, that's really, for the most part, what I relied on, uh, other than the two rice puddings and a couple gels. I also had a couple Oreo cookies because those are uh, a favorite of mine uh, in another life. And so when I'm doing an ultra and there's Oreo cookies that are limited on the 
um, eight stations, then yes, I partake in the Oreo cookies. And so those, those were really good. The worst thing about Oreo cookies is I've never had one not go down good. So I limit them to ultra marathons, as do I Coca-Cola and peanut butter. And actually, peanut butter doesn't sit well with me. It never has. I've never been a huge peanut, excuse me, peanut butter fan. But um, it uh, they it seemed to set and, and it did well with me. So, you know, I guess the white bread and the you know the jelly and the peanut butter is just enough combination that uh, it carried me for the the duration. The other good part about eating stuff like that during an ultra marathon and and having to essentially only eat things like that during an ultra marathon is that afterwards you don't really want any more of it. So it's, you know, I've heard stories of people that were cake decorators, they couldn't stand icing and and it's kind of like that with an ultra. It's like a bad day trick or treating after it's over. You don't want any sugar for a while and you're ready for some regular solid food. So I was craving my greens and my vegetables and fruit afterwards. Um, that's, you know, um, you know, what we, what we went after, uh, for recovery. I did wear a heart rate monitor during the race. I can't say that I really looked at it much. I ran pretty much to exertion and to what I could do. Certainly the downhills I didn't overdo because it was technical enough that my heart rate wasn't up. The uphill sections that were pretty steep, um, you know, my heart rate went up, but then it kind of leveled out again on the technical flatter areas or less hilly areas. So my heart rate was right where I wanted it when I look back at the data, um, you know, right where I'm in the 130s to 150, which what I would run um, a marathon at for the most part, probably a little bit less just because, again, I couldn't uh, really trans, really couldn't get going fast enough on any of the sections to get my heart rate to sustain uh, much higher. So that all worked out pretty well. It got hot. I hydrate only with water. Again, there was ice, so I put ice in. We had a handheld 20-ounce bottle that we carry, um, and so it was three-quarters ice, the rest water, and that would last for either the five-mile, uh, or I guess it was a three-and-a-half-mile or two-something-mile two loop, so then we'll refill at the aid stations. So that worked out good. The last two loops, we had a, um, you know one of the wicking neck uh, towels that we were soaked in ice water, put around our neck and ran. And, and that seemed to help to keep the, keep the heat down. Um, I ran in rabbit gear. If anybody knows that, uh, brand, uh, rabbit.com. It's a great running, uh, gear, uh, their trail clothes. I'm actually a, a member of the rad rabbit, uh, team. And so I wore their gear. I wore exoskin socks, their toe socks that wick water really well. And so no blisters there and ultra trail shoes work for me. They have a big toe box and are pretty easy on my toenails. I didn't um, have any problems with my feet at all during the race, which is great. It's always what has worried me in the past. Um, I've worn just about every kind of shoe, every kind of sock and uh, had my share of blisters in the past, but since I've gone to toe socks and the ultra shoes, that's actually uh, been been really good for me. So that's what I wear. You know, people ask me what kind of shoe I wear. I, I like the zero drop. I like a flat shoe. I think it's good for you. It's something that most people have to get used to because most people are, are have a, you know, run with a heel. Again, back at that Katie Bowman talk that I, uh, you know, we had when you have a, uh, your heels higher than the front of your foot, it kind of pushes you forward puts a little bit more stress on the front of your foot. 
uh, shortens your calf muscles up a little bit. So I, I do like the zero drop shoes. But again, you know, it comes down to like golf clubs or any other kind of sporting equipment. You have to wear or use what you like best and what fits you. And, um, you know, I always tell people that I'm helping train for a marathon that, you really don't know uh, what's going to work for you until you get into that, you know, 16, 18 mile zone. And then things that didn't rub before start to rub and uh, things that felt good before or to- were toler- tolerable before, maybe not so tolerable. So if anything, the long runs in training are good to figure out what to wear. And, you know, I always advise people, you know, you never wear anything new on race day never put a new pair of shoes or something that's not been washed on race day and never really wear an outfit that you haven't tested out on the long run that's not going to chafe or, you know, cause blisters anywhere. I have used Body Glide in the past uh, for anti-chafing, you know, around my neck and jog bra. Uh, on my arms, you know, typically are places that, that, you know, everybody gets chafed at a different place. Those are places where um, I usually get bothered and running in the Florida high humidity heat this year, you know, we are well in, in, into the nineties by the end of a long run and just really wet. Um, I had some issues that the body glide didn't seem to be lasting. It would just kind of, um, wear off basically, or, or sweat off. And so I uh, learned from an ultra runner that said that he used desitin, um, for, you know, anti-chafing. And so I went with the Burt's Bees version of zinc oxide. And I used that in places where I thought I might chafe. It was good for sunburn as well, if you needed it. So we had that in the pack, uh, at the car. If you needed more, I didn't, I applied it once before I started and then that was it. And so that worked out well. So overall, I was uh, really happy with how everything turned out. Um, you know, what could I have done differently uh, to make things better or to run faster? Um, you know, you can always train more. Um, I think the downhill, you know, um, there's, you know, if I had to say what is the most sore on me now, I'm doing this podcast on Wednesday. So the race was Saturday. My quads are still uh, somewhat sore. I swam this morning. Um, I'll probably walk the rest of the week, maybe go for a little run on the weekend. I could run, but I don't see any reason to, um, just going to really, uh, recover well, roll out and, um, uh, you know, really get my mobility back before I, I start training again. But I think that, um, again, our disadvantage here in Florida is that we are on, on flat surfaces. And there's not much in the way of trails. There are some trails you can go to. I'm not interested in um, dealing with uh, large reptiles for the most part. So I'm a little squeamish about uh, things that might eat me on a trail. Uh, so I, uh, even though I guess there could be an alligator or, or a poisonous snake in Texas, it just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But down in Florida, I know they're here. So we run predominantly on the road. I probably could have run in the grass more. I, uh, I think lunges would be a good thing to do for, again, more quadriceps strength. I never get sore in my quads when I'm doing a training run. I always get sore after a race. Um, I think what I did with my foot mobility and ankle mobility really helped. I think doing that more, um, getting on some rocks, getting on some other surface, doing some barefoot balance work, I think would be, um, 
really, really good. And, you know, to find some places that you can, you know, run downhill a little bit and start to practice um, landing that way or a little bit more stress uh, on your your quadriceps. I don't think too much. You know, I've also read that, you know, the recovery from training runs that you really beat up your quads don't necessarily um, work to your advantage either. So, um, you know, maybe a little bit more, but not too much more. Um, this run was a lot about learning to run on the trails and just as enjoying running on the trails and being able to go someplace different and experience a different park and area. Of course, uh, with uh, Addie and her family, Caleb and Nathan being in Texas, we, you know, we want to go to Texas as much as we possibly can. So we make uh, a little family vacation out of, out of these uh, runs as well. So we're really uh, getting to experience uh, some different places in Texas and really enjoying it. Uh, for all you Texans out there, uh, the hospitality is wonderful. We went downtown San Antonio to the Riverwalk afterwards. We went uh, and saw the Alamo. And so it was, it's nice to, to learn a little geography and a little history when we're, when we're doing some of these, these races as well. Um, as far as what we eat, um, it's, it's pretty standard. Uh, we, um, we, we found a, you know, a grocery store. We stay at a hotel that has uh, a little kitchenette. So we were able to bring fruit in and have our own breakfast. I actually brought some sourdough bread for the first couple of days uh, to have for breakfast. Um, like I said, we had our fruit. We typically look for Thai food. That's um, usually an onion-free because Michael has an onion allergy, so we can usually get Thai food um, along the way. We found a great vegan spot. It's called Plantology um, outside of uh, suburbs of San Antonio. And we had um, a soy-curled Cuban-type sandwich and a... Uh, tempeh BLT. So, I mean, it was a great lunch and some, you know, with greens and everything. So that was, that was fun to find something different. And I'll probably make some version of that for our class. Um, and, you know, to demonstrate again, I always like finding, I like to go places and find and have food that I wouldn't necessarily make at home or find a new restaurant. So we got some ideas for things that we can make for class. I did not know anything about Rob Goyan before the race. Um, Again, we kind of Googled ultra runs, uh, trail runs in Texas, and that's kind of how we came upon it. And the date seemed to be good, and the terrain seemed to be what we were we were looking for. And um, was very impressed with uh, Trails Over Texas staff, again, the, uh, and uh, especially with Rob. And I, I kind of looked into his story, and I might try to get him on the podcast because I think he has an interesting story. You know, you never know what you're going to see on the trail, and you never know uh, what brings people or drives people, especially to do ultra-endurance events. And I did see some people that were overweight, um, more so running the shorter races, but there were some large people. You know, if you look at a marathon, you you know, people think runners are all skinny people, and it's not. They're all shapes and sizes, and there were certainly all shapes and sizes in front of me and behind me. Um, so that, that doesn't tell a story or, or exclude anybody. And you got to give everybody kudos that gets out on the trail and gets out on the roads and, and uh, you know, test their limits and their, um, their, their stamina. And Rob is actually no, no exception. He was um, a very overweight man um, that uh, also had a substance abuse problem. 
and he got sober and lost weight and started running ultras and fell in love with ultra running and ultimately became a race director and um, also had some some life problems and some physical problems because orthopedic problems because of had having had carried so much weight for much of his adult life that I had some major orthopedic surgeries and um, kind of laid him up and got him off the running scene and more into uh, the directing. And, you know, one thing led to another and he's gained a significant amount of weight. So when you first saw him at the race, you know, at the beginning, it's like, this is kind of, this fella doesn't look like your typical race director. He doesn't look like, you know, a runner, so to speak, but obviously, you know, he was a runner. Um, life was, you know, just throwing him some some curveballs. So you never know, you know, where people are in their journey to become healthy in the struggle. And I think that that's uh, something that's really important, um, you know, to, to realize. I, I think a lot of people don't want to try endurance events because they don't see themselves as a runner. They don't see themselves as an athlete. Um, it seems too hard and I, it's, um, it's exactly what life is. It's, it can be really hard at times and it can be really rewarding at times and, and fun at times. And I think that's what really attracts us to, uh, the endurance athletics. It's problem solving, um, in a somewhat controlled environment, you know, um, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, you break something or you some, you pull something, I guess is, is, you know, um, there, there's the out, you know, there is a, a remote possibility of something bad happening, but for the most part, it's in a fairly controlled environment and it's a friendly environment. And, uh, people are very, very supportive. Um, the one thing that's different about trail running versus regular marathon running is that, um, people talk and, uh, people are happy to talk and they, um, they want to engage and they want to be helpful and they want to encourage, uh, each other and they're happy when other people do well. So, uh, that whole sense we really like, it's a very laid back community. You know, it is what it is when you're out in the woods and out in the dirt, it is what it is. And so there's no, um, you know, there's no airs, there's no, um, there's no class system. It's just people out trying to do their best with what they have for that day. And, and that's, you know, that's really, I think what the beauty of, of that is. And so I want to share, um, these experiences on the podcast. It's, you know, I, I know anybody that's listened to, uh, more than one episode of this knows that when I started running marathons, it was basically just to take my family to Italy because that's where my mother's parents, uh, were born and be a nice family vacation. And I wanted to raise money for the cure for diabetes. That was the whole the whole reason for us doing my first marathon. And of course, it's a joke now because I know the cure for diabetes. It is actually uh, decreasing the fat you wear and decreasing the fat in your diet. And it's a completely reversible thing there. We don't have to find a cure. We can certainly prevent it in the first place, but we can very much put it into remission by diet and exercise. And that is the only way that you can put diabetes into remission is through diet and exercise. But anyway, that was the reason for my, my first marathon. And, um, I had such a positive experience. I wanted to share that with my practice. So I would frame my t-shirts and my medals and put them in the office. And I really never motivated anybody to, to run a marathon 
we've had a couple 5k groups over the years you know that that have that have done a 5k together but um, it really wasn't until changing the practice that we got people that are really interested in running marathons. And um, this spring, the Treasure Coast Marathon, I think we're going to have a pretty good showing for team uh, plant-based, plant-strong striders uh, and team Delaney uh, as far as runners there from a variety of different ages. And, you know, again, a plug if you want to run a marathon with us, we'd love to have you. Uh, you don't have to be a member of my practice. Just go over the Treasure Coast Marathon and sign up, and uh, we'll see you there. It's in March, so you have this is the time to start your training, whether it's from zero or uh, you're a runner already. It's still a, a great possibility, and it's a, it's a beautiful course. But I think, um, again, the camaraderie that comes from these long-distance running and pushing yourself and the struggle uh, is is really good for your, for your psyche. So... Um, hats off long, long story short, uh, you know, to Rob and all that he does. Um, apparently when he puts on hundred mile races, he is there for the entire event and shakes everybody's hand across that comes across the finish line. And yes, we shook hands, uh, with people coming across the finish line. There were no masks. Everybody was happy. It was a great place to be. You can't get COVID outside in the woods. Everybody understood that. So it was great. And, uh, so uh, it was, again, uh, a, a really, really good uh, experience. Um, our next event is the swim run um, just a little northwest of Austin uh, at uh, Pace Bend Park. So we'll be swimming, uh, it's got swim run, swim run, swim run on a long course for that. So uh, it was back to the pool for me today to, to start swimming and getting uh, back in gear for that. And like I said, probably this weekend we'll start running and I do what's called a reverse taper. So, you know, before the race, I tapered down to, I was just running about three miles this past week before the race. And so I'll start with three miles and then just uh, keep bumping it up every week um, as I feel good. And, uh, you know, just listen to my body. I used to try to go out and pound it really quick afterwards. Um, it's a good time to get injured. So it's also a good time to focus on things that you need to focus on mobility, um, and healing and, uh, doing a few other things around the house that maybe got put off because we were in the thick of things training. You know, I think that as much as I want everybody to run a marathon, uh, or go out and run a 5k, I, I do think that you have to listen to your body. And if you haven't run, um, or even walked, uh, it, you got to start out slow and train those small joints. And, and, you know, if I've learned anything as I've gotten older, that mobility and doing things for those little joints, your ankles and your feet, uh, and, uh, you know, having good range of motion is what's it all, is what it's all about. And when it comes to weight loss, you know, nobody ever gets for the most part, loses a tremendous amount of weight, um, just running a marathon you have to change your diet. And, um, Running is great for cardiovascular. It's great to decrease the risk of cancer, decrease the risk of cancer recurrence, it improves sleep, it improves focus, but it, it's not going to really run calories off. Your body has a way of adjusting. Your hunger gets increased. Uh, you increase. You keep. You eat more to um, adjust for the increased caloric expenditure. Um, other parts of your body don't metabolize as much, so you conserve here to to save. You know to keep your metabolism about steady. So. Weight loss, or I'm sorry, running and endurance events, events are great for maintaining weight loss, but they're not great for, um, you know, 
you can't just run off. You can't run off uh, your weight and still eat what you want. And I think Rob was a good example about that. Again, I haven't had him on the podcast or if I talked to him about it, but you know, when you're running, um, you might be able to sneak in a few more calories and maintain, but you're not going to lose the weight. And then if you stop running, you stop exercising and your appetite doesn't change and you still have that caloric intake and then it could even get worse then that's when the weight comes on. And I'm sure that is what Rob is dealing with right now. And it's very difficult when, uh, you know, a lot of people go through it. And so, you know, if you're exercising to lose weight, it's not going to work for the most part, or it's not going to do, but it, it may motivate you to eat better. So that's a plus. So it works in that way. It will help you to maintain weight loss once you, um, you know, you're losing weight. But remember that exercise alone is not going to be what does it for you. I think a lot of people that do endurance vents get all bent out of shape when they have an injury and they can't exercise and they're afraid of weight gain, which is a real fear because they're not exercising. But it's not because they're not exercising. It's because their caloric intake is more than they're expending. So keep that in mind. Um, again, you know, I, I would like to see everybody in the world run. I think it's a great sport. You can get uh, a lot of good cardiovascular benefit in a short period of time, but it is not the route to weight loss in and of itself. You know, we are starting to enter eating season. Um, the first holiday that's going to come around here is uh, Halloween. And, uh, you know, the candy's already in the store shelves and lining every, you know, walking in places. There's candy everywhere. When you walk in Walgreens and you walk in CVS or you walk into the grocery store, there's, there's candy. Um, a lot of offices, people start to buy it already and they have it sitting around and people grab it here, grab it there. And um, it's not good for you. Um, there isn't much in the way of vegan Halloween candy. Uh, so you got to kind of get past that. There are a lot of things. I think we'll probably talk about um, Halloween treats on our uh, webinar that's coming up that you can do for, for kids that, that are more healthy. But the, the traditional Halloween candy is just, you know, again, becomes the vehicle to start uh, down a bad path because you start getting that sugary um sweet tooth going and the next thing you know it uh, drifts into uh, Thanksgiving and December and um, Christmas and all the other holiday parties and uh, people are really into trouble and then they're going to have to start the January um, back on the wagon so to speak and um, try to try to lose weight again so beware uh, that that's a part of it and everything that you stick in your mouth counts that's energy in that's not necessarily associated with energy out. It's extra energy. 10 extra calories a day for 365 days is a pound. So, you know, one little Jolly Rancher a day can result in a pound a year. Uh, and we all know that it's always more than that. So, you know, be really aware of that, that you're not, you know, if you're doing an endurance training, that it doesn't, um, it doesn't give you a license to eat anything you want by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like I said, on race day, I lower my standards tremendously uh, for glucose in. But as after that race day is over, uh, and certainly before race day, I want to get a very colorful plate. I think the key to weight loss is not only decreased energy in, but looking at your plate to make sure it's very colorful. 
to look and see that it's the nutrients that you want to get in as opposed and the colors that you want to get in a variety of colors um, and not be focused on how much or if you're not getting enough of I to put yourself into dietary gel doesn't work for very long so um, you got to find things you like and things that you can um, that can sustain you through these times I think it's also really important to change your focus um, you know we might have all liked Reese cups and all had our favorite um, Halloween candy in the past but that was the past and if you want to be healthy going into the future then your focus has to change so you know there's nobody that can eat little bits of that stuff uh, it creeps up on it creeps up on everybody so you have to have uh, strict and hard fast rules to um, you know stay the course so you're not going to change people around you necessarily, but you can be the one uh, that, you know, you're, you're ultimately in control of what, what goes into your mouth. So keep that in mind when you're trying to stay on your nutrition goals. Again, is this meal, does this meal serve me right? Uh, shout out to Tim Marie Hagenberger, uh, registered dietitian in California. You know, does this meal serve me? Uh, and am I getting the nutrients in a colorful plate? Shout out to Addie Minerich in Texas. Uh, in a in a well balanced colorful plate, and that that is more the key to good nutrition and ultimate weight loss than trying to uh, pound out miles or starve yourself intermittently. I also think it's very important to differentiate uh, weight loss and nutrient density. Uh, we want people to eat a nutrient dense, low inflammatory. Uh, diet so that they are healthy and of a normal body uh, mass index not just skinny people that eat poorly and can fast and do whatever so it's there's a there's a huge difference between being a normal body mass index and being healthy so i think that that is really um, important on the contrary as far as i'm concerned there is not an elevated body mass index that is healthy um, there are a few muscular men out there that are, are power lifters or weight lifters or bodybuilders that may have a lot of lean muscle mass that makes their BMI um, greater for their size, but they're few and far between. And so I, um, you know, I'm, I'm not fat shaming anybody. Um, I don't suggest that we're not all variants of a normal, but there's a big range between 18 and 24.9. And, you know, we need to recognize that a healthy weight and a healthy amount of fat tissue is important, but an excessive amount uh, is not going to serve anybody. So, you know, that being said, um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, that should be, uh, you know, usually our main focus is getting people to eat a very healthy anti-inflammatory plate that allows them to maintain a normal body mass index. So it maintains health, decreases the risk of cancer, decreases the risk of autoimmune disease, decreases the risk of endocrine diseases. So that being said, again, uh, go to our website to find out more about when our webinar is going to be in the first uh, couple of weeks in October. Uh, we have a lot of fun uh, cooking and, and sharing those recipes with you and doing uh, question and answer sessions.
go on over to, um, you know, if you want to run the Treasure Coast Marathon with us, go check that out at that at their website. Uh, I'm not sponsored by them or have anything to do with them. It just is a race that we really like the location uh, in Florida. It's a nice time of the year. It uh, was a pleasant, it's nice, Stuart, Florida is a nice uh, old Floridian town. Again, check out drdelaney.com if you'd like to be part of our practice because we have levels uh, one and two uh, that are online. Um, that you have access to our weekly nutrition webinars that we do a Zoom class with. So uh, you have you can join our class every week via Zoom uh, or watch it on our members only page if you're uh, part of the member, uh, if you're part of the membership. So level one and level two have access to all of uh, our all our online programs. Uh, this month we're currently doing mobility drills uh, for the lower extremities and working our way up so that we become more mobile and more resistant to injury uh, in our practice and balance is balance 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 is always key no matter what age you are but as we get older uh, that's a key factor on how we can move more and keep everything moving well so thanks for listening to my ultra marathon story and i um, look forward to speaking with you in the near future we're going to have a couple special guests on uh, to talk about their health journey so it should be great Again, tune in to drdelaney.com. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com if you have questions uh, or comments. Thank you for listening. first podcast Tony's our new little black kitten he wears a tuxedo he's gonna be a runner I'm pretty sure of it <laughs>